You're gonna need a bigger boat. No. I am your father. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. Life was like a box of chocolates. Wax on, wax off. I see dead people. Here's Johnny. He's alive! You can't handle the truth. Good morning, Vietnam! Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Get away from her, you bitch! Hey, Keith, what's your first order of business? It's the Wild Cinematic Leap. Hi and welcome to Cinematic Leap, a movie podcast where we apply six degrees of Kevin Bacon style process to select our next movie. Each week we'll watch a movie, provide our review, then take a cinematic leap by selecting an actor, director or crew member from this week's movie to choose our next movie. As always, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Michael Thompson. You know what I say, if you've got a problem, eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And Glenn Grady. I have a sadness shield that keeps out all the sadness, and it's big enough for all of us. Aww. Aww. Nice, Glenn. That hits us in the feels. In the feels. Yeah, much better than the one you did on um, (laughs) the Gremlins, where you really took it dark, but uh, (laughs) this one's not too bad. (laughs) Uh, I I don't talk to owls. Owls are stupid. How are we, gentlemen? All going well? Good, good. Um, yeah, it's pretty good, you know. I spent the, the weekend at Comic-Con, oh. Comic-Con, the Christmas edition. Oh. Um, and it was okay, you know. It's um, it's not the big one, so there's no real guests, but I suppose it's a chance to get some Christmas shopping done and see a couple of panels. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, very good. Hmm. That'd be interesting. Did you dress up, Michael? No, no, it's not. that's not me. All right. Not a- um, no, but there were, there were a number of um, uh, cosplayers. Um, usually, and they're, they're usually from the anime stuff. There's a lot of anime cosplayers there. Um, but there was, I did see a, a beautiful scene. Um, there was the you know the Christmas scene. It's got a Christmas tree. It's got this kind of chase lounge kind of thing going on. And there's um, what is it? It's a uh, it was Superman, Batman, um, the dude from Scream like the killer from Scream and so I think it was another DC kind of like hero in a sense, like, you know, in that kind of like, you know, thing It's like, wow, that's almost a, f- oh, Superman. Did I say Superman? Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. And they were in this kind of like, you know, uh, Christmas thing. I was like, wow, I'm almost, I almost got a photo, but I was like, <laughs> no, that's, I don't have to ask. Like, you know, but yeah, it was like, that's, that's the comic con Christmas right there. So yeah. Oh, it's, uh, very always good. interesting. Glenn, how are you tracking? Not too bad. Just excited to get my Christmas present for in the mail of Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's oh, just yeah. a, it'll be just a link to cinematicleap.com. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good present. It's, like, it's a gift it's a that keeps present. giving. Yeah. It's a, it yeah, just um and make sure you you send it in your you know cards. You put a little you know like a link in there, like okay. right out the, the the website. Little QR um, code or even. Hmm. Yeah, put a figure out how to put a QR code in there. Maybe we should actually it's, generate those and you can actually put them in your own cards. We can, yeah, <laughs> easy. I'll leave that to Glenn. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> this week we are doing the film Where the Wild Things Are, a 2009 fantasy adventure drama film based off Morris Zendak's 1963 children's book of the same name. Hmm. I actually remember reading this book. haven't read it for a while. I think I read it to my kids. Oh yeah, I've read it to Ed. Um, 
And I remember having it, I think, like, you know, it was at school, someone read it, like, you know, in a primary school kind of setting. It's been a while. It's been mm. a long time. Uh, it was directed by Spike Jones, uh, stars Max Records and Catherine Keener, co-stars Mark Ruffalo and features the voices of James Gandolfini, Lauren Ambrose, Chris Cooper, Forrest Whitaker and Paul Dano. Had a budget of $100 million, made $100.1 million. So... I assume it's a success. I mean, it didn't. It did make its money back, and it still made a hundred million. So you'd have to say that's successful. But they it's probably expensive. wanted. It's, it was expensive. Right. For what there it was. you go. And like you know, and where does Angus Sampson fit into this? That's the that's the big question. Well, I try to find Angus Sampson. I think he just wore one of the suits. He's a bull suit performer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's it's all he's done. That's, I mean, it's almost a Robert. You know, Rodrigo Rodriguez uh, leap. Bernardo, 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 Bernardo Rodriguez. Yeah, get it that, right. Come on, man. Classic, classic I mean, man. At least Steven Spielberg turned up in Vanilla Sky. <laughs> we didn't even see Angus Sampson in this. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, he was great. He was great. He was the one of the characters. Oh, look, he really embodied the lonely bull yeah. kind of mm-hmm. dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes had a, an average score of 73%. It's critic score with an audience score of 57%. Uh, the critic consensus, some may find its dark tone and slender narrative off-putting, but Spike Jones's heartfelt adaptation of the classic children's book is a beautiful as it is uncompromising. Uh, Metacritic, 71 out of 100 with an audience score of 6.9 and IMDb has an average rating of 6.7 out of 10. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone gave the film four stars, saying, for all the money spent, the film's success is best measured, best measured by its simplicity and purity of its innovation. Alicia Schwartzbaum of Entertainment Weekly gave the film an A, declaring the film one of the year's best. Manola Dargis of New York Times wrote that Spike Jones's filmmaking exceeds anything he's done before, mm. while also noting the imaginative visuals and otherworldly feel, along with the fantastic creature effects on The Wild Things. Do we watch the same film? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, some critics have noted the movie's dark adaptation for children, such as David Demby from The New Yorker saying, I have a vision of eight-year-olds leaving the movie in bewilderment. Why are creatures so? Why are the creatures so unhappy? Uh, Stephanie Zacharek of Salon.com criticised the film's visual aspect. Even the look of the pictures becomes tiresome after a while. It starts to seem depressive and shaggy and tired. She also states that the movie is so loaded with adult ideas about childhood as to oppose to things that might delight or engage an actual child. Mm. That one's probably more accurate. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, you chose The Leaper. Angus Sampson. You chose Angus um, Sampson. Yeah, because he was, you know, we were coming off Insidious and he was he was kind of funny, but he was, you know, as a, as a sort of an odder role for him. It's not that kind of... You know, happy go lucky sort of Aussie about, um, and I thought, you know what, I'd like to see him in something, and hopefully, you know, there was a possibility of getting to Mad Max Fury Road there, um, which I didn't like when I watched it. I was thinking, you know, I'd like to revisit it to kind of possibly pan it out on um, on this beautiful podcast <laughs> called Cinematic Leap, because um, I am passionate. You know, sometimes a good a film needs a good ribbon. Um, you know, just kind of poke it in the ribs and go, you know what, this is why you were bad. Uh, or I could have been, you know, duly surprised and gone, actually, you know what, I, I was a bit harsh when I first watched mm. it. I don't know. I haven't watched it that second time yet. Uh, but um, that's not where we went. No. So, Glenn, why did you choose this film? 
limited choices available. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to watch Mad Max. I've never, I've never watched a Mad Max movie. I don't really, I've never really thought about Mad Max or looked at it. So I don't really know the setting or how it, what it's all about. So I just didn't even look at that as an option when I saw it there. And um, I liked this movie when I saw it in 2009. I thought, why not give this another watch? I didn't mind it. Mm. Yeah. But you like the you do like the director, don't you? Yes, he's great. How can you not? Well, I've had a look at some of his movies. What is he? What has Spike uh, Jones done? We did adaptation. Oh shit, that was me. Adaptation. Oh yeah, that's our first pod. It was. Yeah. Crazy times. He's uh, done. Being John Malkovich. Another great movie. Yeah, a pod we have not yet done. Uh, oh, he's actually in the film, The Wolf of Wall Street, Moneyball, the game. Oh, so he's in some. He's actually. I don't know about his direction, but he's actually a star in some good films. Yeah, I mean, Tenacious D, the complete masterworks. I mean, we, we should go to him. We can actually. Might <laughs> <laughs> have to change my art, my leaper. There's a lot of music video stuff in here. It's lots. So much. Yeah, he didn't he do the Fat Boy Slim uh, Praise You? Uh, I think. Was that him? I think that was him. Anyway. I don't know. It's just such a long list. It's like under director and it's like music videos. Mm. Um, yeah. So, Michael, what were your thoughts yep. when Glenn chose this film? Um, well, I hadn't seen it, and I was like, eh, you know, all right. You know, I mean, the, I thought, I didn't think, I didn't hear great things when I heard, like, you know, first heard about it, so I never kind of even bothered with it. So I was, like, indifferent, I guess. I mean, certainly I was hoping to see Angus Hampson. Um, and I guess in some ways we did, you know. His performance as the bull was, you know, um, stoic and reserved and, um, contained within a bullsuit. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was surprised. I, I, I hadn't seen this film, and to be honest, I hadn't. I don't remember him making it. So when Glenn chose it, I was like, "Oh, okay, it's interesting. Is this a kids' film? Is it? Where are we? Where are we sort of drifting to?" But um, yeah, I hadn't seen it, and I thought, "Well, look, as we've discussed many times, the idea of the podcast is to watch some films that we haven't seen." So I thought, "Oh, let's mm. let's give it a watch." Um, and then when I looked at the cast, I thought, "Shit, it's a, some pretty good people in this film." So I was—I had some high expectations going in. Yeah, which is fair. Hmm. Anyway, and it does have a a, free, a previous leaper with um, where was her? Yeah, Catherine uh, Keener. Yeah, that's right. Um, linked to Get Out, I think we. Yeah. Watched. Yeah. I think we also leapt with Chris Cooper, didn't we? Very early. Uh, the born identity, didn't we? Yeah, didn't we go there? Yeah, that's right. Certainly did. What was his role? What did he do in this film? I guess we'll get to that. Uh, no, we didn't oh, actually. Douglas. We haven't leapt with Christopher Cooper. He was in the oh, born we identity. Ah, uh, close. Yeah, we could have leapt with him, but we chose obviously chose not to. Mm. Anyway, Douglas Michael, yeah. play the trailer. Yes, playing the trailer. I travel by sea. I used to travel by air. Obviously, you have no home or family. Well, 
have one of those, but... But you ate them all? No. I have no plans to eat anybody. You are now the king, and you will be a truly great king. Hey, King, what's your first order of business? It's the Wild Rumpus This is our family. I'm Ira. I'll put the holes in the trees. This is Judith. You don't really need to know me. Kind of a downer. That's Alexander. I hate this tree! Oh! Well, he just wants attention. Don't <laughs> give him the satisfaction. <laughs> That's Douglas. I count on him for everything. We'll take care of each other and we'll all sleep together in a real pile. You're the owner of this world. You're not really a king, huh? Forever. Definitely. What's that? Oh, it's that dog. Don't feed it. It'll just follow you around. All right. Nice. Uh, obviously, Glenn, over to you for the synopsis. As always, people, there will be spoilers. So if you don't want the movie spoiled for you, pause the pod, go and watch the film, and then come back and listen to our review. One of the, well, if you do want the movie spoiled for you, just continue to listen, listen to our review. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's one of the best trailers that in years. That was that, I remember that trailer so much. I watched it a lot before this movie came out. It's such a great trailer. Wow. Really? Anyway, synopsis time. <laughs> you got the book. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just going to read the book, Lynn? The Night Max, <laughs> the Night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another. His mother called him Wild Thing and Max said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. That very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew until his ceiling hung with vines and the walls became the world all around. I don't remember this part of the movie. And an ocean tumbled by with a <laughs> private boat for Max and he sailed off through the night and day and in and out of weeks and almost over a year to where the wild things are. And Okay, I'll, I'll go to the real synopsis. <laughs> I mean, it's funny though. Like I was, I kind of remembered that vague aspect of the book and it didn't happen like that. It didn't kind of roll... With it, like, you know, he's gone to bed and then the forest grew. He's run, mm. He runs away from home and then finds a boat on the edge of a, a bank somewhere and then sets out to sea. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, it was odd like that. Like, you know, to have that first divergence of, like, from between the book and the movie, like, that was kind of, um, you know, it was different. It was still his, basically his imagination or in his mind, yeah. really. Um, it didn't take a year, though, did it? Max uh, Max is a lonely nine-year-old boy with an active imagination and divorced parents. His older sister, Claire, does nothing when her friends crush Max's snow fort with him inside during a snowball fight. Out of, yeah, that was brutal. Yeah. 
Yeah, this poor, this poor kid. Anyway, uh, out of mm. frustration, Max messes up her, her bedroom and destroys a frame he made for her. Later, his mother, Connie, invites her boyfriend, Adrian, to dinner. Max becomes upset with her for not spending time with him that evening, as they had agreed. Wearing his wolf suit, he begins to wreak havoc among the house. As Connie, as Connie scolds him, he lashes out by biting her on the shoulder. She yells at him, and he runs away, scared by what transpired. At the edge of a pond, Max finds a small boat that he boards. What do we think at this point? Um... Well, actually, there was a, I mean, I suppose it's, a, it's an early question is, um, look, hey, mum, you know, you, and, you know, where was the explanation? Hey, Max, I've got someone over, so can you not be a dick? Um, that would be great. Or, I mean, I didn't, I thought actually the dad was dead. Like, you know, classic, mm. you know, dad is dead because there was a little kind of like, you know, this is your world, Max, was that on the little kind of thing. So I thought, nah, makes sense. But if dad is alive, because... She's divorced. It's well, like doesn't say, actually yeah. going to your dad's place tonight. <laughs> oh, no, this is what the synopsis well, get says. Well, grandparents. I'm not sure. Yeah, get a babysitter. No. Yeah. Where is Kylie? Kylie, look after Max. <laughs> Someone help this poor single lady out. I must. The, the, the thing that got me here is I miss having that imagination. Like I remember when I was a kid, even probably even to the age of thirteen or fourteen, I still remember. Um, you know, like we used to spend hours outside playing around, playing soldiers or playing tea or doing something. And, you know, we'd create these worlds in our own mind and we could just go out and play. And I guess as you get older, you, you lose that. But, you see, watching this, it did get you that tie back to when you were a kid and how much you used to enjoy doing those sorts of things and creating these worlds and pretending that you're somebody else, which I guess, I don't know, it's as an adult you don't sort of do. And it yeah, you know, like obviously, hey Michael, we've got kids, and you do it when your kids are younger. But I guess mine are older now, so they're probably they're mm. out of that part of it. But so you do you've, you've you do stop borrowing that things vicariously part of your imagination. And it's it's quite sad. And going back, it did take me back to when I was a kid and when I was able to do that. Um, and look, I, I can probably still, if I ever want to, go into the go into the jungle yeah, it's, somewhere it's, and just run around and pretend I'm a soldier or pretend I'm a ninja or whatever I want to be. But it's probably something you don't do now, and it's nice to look back and remember when you were a kid when you did that and how much fun you yeah, had. Yeah, certainly the the play aspect I agree with, but um, I think like you know having getting to write you know Stressley Showtime mm. on an annual basis, there's a little bit of kind of fun in that. Like you know you do like being a you know like a you know an actor or performer, like you know it allows you to kind of live that sort of different life a little bit. So you know every year we re we write a different world you know, for this kind of whatever musical to go through. So I, I feel like that I get to exercise that imagination. Yeah. Because it usually comes from scratch and then, you know, what do these people sort of look like and what are they yeah, doing? So you, that's a lot of fun. I do enjoy that aspect. Yeah. Hmm. I guess also then looking at it as a parent, seeing this kid just go completely off tap, it also then triggers like, yeah, you try and think back of, of how you would have handled that situation and I reckon, you know, we probably all, we've, we've, a lot of people and a lot of listeners and I don't know, probably you, Michael, as well, where you've had those, you've reacted poorly and you've probably act, reacted like the mum when mm. you got really angry and um, at them rather than probably trying to look at, okay, what's what's actually behind the behaviour sort of thing, which you don't know. It's hard, I guess, like, you know, because um, certainly she, like Max bit her. Yeah. And it's like, you know, um, and that's it's one of those things usually you can um, sort of temper I mean, you're like that, you know, you're regulating yourself, but like when you go through pain, it kind of, mm. you, you, you know, it's hard to kind of not sort of lash out. It's kind of takes a real effort. 
um you know and certainly had a recent incident where like you know ed had kind of moved something and it smacked me in the nose like daddy can you please? i'm fine buddy all good yeah. <laughs> i'm all right and it's like oh that hurt a little yeah. bit <laughs> so yeah um, Certainly, my my nine year old doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> this this first part of the movie reminded me of like the, the kids sort of remind me of those naughty the naughty kids at school who were just hyperactive and just crazy sometimes. And it, it was interesting seeing it portrayed from from an adult's point of view, and you're sort of realizing that this kid is is he's doing he's behaving. Without thinking, he's not thinking of his actions. What, what's going to result from his actions? Like he starts a snowball fight. You know, he doesn't realize that this could go this backfire on him and have his igloo crushed. And you know, mm. and and it's interesting watching it as an you know as a kid. Those naughty, you know, the naughty kid who was just crazy, acting out all the time. You don't you don't realize that it's not it's real not really their fault. It's just that they're maybe it's ADHD or maybe it's some other uh, brain. Um, neural digest mm, yeah and, yeah uh, um, and, kind of and so i felt really sorry for this kid who you know for a, a child watching it might think oh man this boy's annoying but for me i was like oh he's poor kid you know people he's kind of misunderstood in a way you know but yeah i guess the biting the mum is, is maybe a bit far but it's still i feel like it's, it's yeah it's hard but i think now i've got, a, I've got those, to admit here sorry, you go oh no thanks scott um we was like you know it's like all right we'll take this a bit of a family moment and like we'll watch the wild, where the wild things are together and like you know it's a pegged as a kids film and it's like oh Ed you got to watch this film and he was like there was nothing in here for a kid to bite into um, you know you commented earlier Scott like you know about like you know I imagine the kids are just gonna go Ugh. Um, like there was you know he wasn't kind of engaging with this material that's there like it wasn't anything they could sink their teeth mm. into um, and we we made him push on but like you know. Um, certainly it was not capturing that sort of aspect. Whereas most kids film, you know, would that kind of like, you know, there'd be some sort of way to engage them early. Yeah. It's almost a, a kid's film for adults. Mm. Um, but like you were saying before, Gwen, it's, you know, it could be anything, but a lot of the time with this sort of behavior, it is just simply because they want attention and they have, they don't know how else to get your attention. And then even mm. if it's something as simple as that you're actually yelling at them, they still have your attention at that point. So they've, they're happy. They've got what they want. And it's not just through the way they probably wanted to get it, but they've, they've got what they wanted, which is your attention. And it's quite, yeah. But I don't know if they consciously know that that's what they want, if, if that's what it is, because I never as a kid was like, I want attention. I'm going to be, you know, crazy. I, I think, I don't know. It come, for me, it come across as a kid who just was very creative and had a huge imagination and but didn't think through where his actions mm. would lead. Mm. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first kid or the last. Parenting advice with cinematic yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of us doesn't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually, Max reaches an island that is home to a group of seven large monsters called the Wild Things, namely Carol, Ira, Judith, Alexander, Douglas, the Bull, and KW. Carol is in the middle of a destructive tantrum caused by the departure of KW. Max tries joining in on the mayhem, but finds himself facing the suspicious anger of the wild things. When they contemplate eating him, Max convinces them that he is a king with magical powers capable of bringing harmony to the group. They crown him as their new king. Shortly after, KW returns, and Max declares a wild rumpus in which the wild things smash trees and tackle each other, before going to sleep in a pile with Max at the centre. 
Uh, Carol takes Max on a tour of the island, showing him a model he built depicting what he wishes the island looked like. Uh, inspired by this, Max orders the construction of an enormous fort. Then uh, when KW brings her two owl friends, Bob and Terry, to the fort, a, dis a disagreement ensues as Carol feels they are outsiders. To release their frustrations, Max divides the tribe into good guys and bad guys for a dirt clod fight. That was a mistake. Yeah, silly. <laughs> it's got to be, you got to make the A team and team, you know, team one mm. or something like that. <laughs> you know. uh, <laughs> however, Alexander is injured during the game and Carol berates KW for jokingly stepping on his head, prompting the latter to leave once again. Uh, Max finds Alexander alone in the fort, whereupon he reveals that he knows Max is not a king with magical powers, but warns him never to let Carol know. However, Douglas reveals the truth when Carol throws another tantrum in the middle of the night over the state of the fort and Max's failure to fulfill his duties as king. Enraged, Carol rips off Douglas's right arm. <laughs> the only sand brutal. pours from the wound. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> brutal. When he goes, that's my favourite arm. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, before chasing Absolutely Max into the brutal. forest and attempting to eat him. <laughs> well, I mean, the hilarious thing, like, you know, the chases, you know, Max into the forest, KW is there, it's all right, I'll eat you to protect you. Mm. It's like, yeah. What? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. Jump, climb into my mouth. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> and then it's like, ah. Yes. Yep, that's, um... Max is saved by KW, who hides him in her stomach. After Carol leaves, KW explains to Max how difficult their lives are, with Carol's tantrums only making matters worse. Max realises what his mother is going through and decides to leave the island. Max finds the crushed remains of Carol's model, model island and leaves a token of affection for him to find. Max finds Carol and tells him he's going home because he's not a king. The other wild things escort Max to his boat. Carol runs to join them after finding Max's token and arrives in time to see him off. He starts to howl, and Max howls back. All the other wild things join in. Carol looks at KW, and she smiles kindly at him. Returning home, Max is embraced by his mother, who gives him a bowl of soup, a piece of chocolate cake, and a glass of milk. She sits with him as he eats, and he watches as she falls asleep at the table. The end. Mm. Well, very good. All right. Uh, what have to be? Uh, cast and cast characters. Characters, yeah. So we'll probably start with Max Records, who, luckily for him, played Max. <laughs> that that must have been Yeah, confusing. didn't have to worry about right. thinking of what his name was. Yeah. What are your thoughts of Max? I thought he was great. Um, he hasn't done much, I don't think, since then that I can see, but um, I think he was... It's done a, I think he was really a film good. called I Am Not really A Serial good. Killer. Yeah, The Vampire Attack. No, that's just the one minute short. Oh. Um, I agree, Glenn. His story. Was, I thought yeah. he was outstanding. Like, you know, it's it's hard to fault his performance. Yeah, he displayed all these different range of emotions, um, which and I thought he generally captured the character well. I guess in mm. some ways in, he just got to play a kid, which would be a really fun thing to do. So, A kid in a dirty wolf suit. Yeah. Snubbed by the Oscars. <clears throat> Yeah, snubbed, snubbed, no nomination. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no. I, look, I thought he was. I yeah, I thought he was outstanding. It's a shame he probably hasn't gone on to do other things. But um, yeah, I don't know. He's just he just captured. He was the centre of the movie. He did carry this movie, which would be hard for 
He reminded me of real kids I knew, like back when mm. I was younger, and he just reminded me of certain kids I knew. And I was like, and he was so good, like, and he, he, yeah, he did the he did the hyperactive crazy, and then he also did the sad emotional mm. stuff, and yeah, good, just come across as a really imaginative kid, not like you're reciting lines or you know. I've seen some bad actors. I watched the Ewok movies on the weekend. Gosh, they're... <laughs> How'd that go? They don't blink. Ewoks don't blink. And the, I guess the budget wasn't 100 million like this, but, you know. <laughs> well, he's in the movie called The Sitter, which is an R-rated film yeah. with um, uh, Jonah Hill, which is interesting because it's only a couple of years afterwards. But, um, no, I don't know. I just thought he encapsulated this character perfectly. I thought he was outstanding. So yep. maybe we'll find something down the track. Who knows? What's it been, 14 mm. years? So he's probably mid-20s now. Mm, hang on, uh, it says somewhere. He might, he might be able to find his. Uh... For 1997. So it's probably 26. Hmm. Yeah. Thoughts, Michael? He was adequate, you know, did the job. Um, I mean, I, I generally found that the movie hard to engage with. So it was like, you know, um, yeah, like, you know, I think he, you're right, Glenn. He did kind of, you know, demonstrate those sort of. Um, all the emotive kind of needs and like the acting craft itself was, I think was well portrayed. Like, you know, you kind of, you know, you really did see those range of emotions and he delivered lines clearly. And, um, you know, we got to see, you know, the subtleties of, of movement and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I think I was having a broader narrative issue with the film uh, that kind of sort of was holding it back. Yep. Hmm. Uh, Catherine Keener, who played mum. Oh, she's always good, like, and she wasn't in it very much, really, mm. to to judge much. Mm. But she's always a good choice, a solid choice in in any film she's in that I've seen, anyway. Certainly, in it longer than Mark Ruffalo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she's a uh, she's also a lot nicer mum in this than she was in Get Out. She's probably a good one. Oh, <laughs> but that was a powerful performance. Oh, in Get Out. She was a, she was in fine form there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I thought she was um, solid enough. She did a role. She was in when she needed to be, and yeah. I guess the actual live characters probably weren't really on display as much, other than well, Max was, but yeah, the Ruffalo and Keena probably weren't really in it that much. She was good at doing that, you know, exhausted mum thing, you know, just mm. trying to get her work done and having the kid there. Yeah, and um, I wonder if that's actually kind of you know just reliving life. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then I'll open it up. So obviously we're into probably the wild things, really. Well, I mean, you've got to start with James Gandalf any day, mm. really, like as the, you know, um, the big supporting, you know. But he was the main voice yeah, the main with Carol. Carol. Yeah, it was good. I really I enjoyed that performance. Um, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't seen The Sopranos and I haven't seen much of his other work, but it was a kind of, it was a good voice for it. Like, you know, you kind of, and like voice acting is a different sort of, you know, really a, you know, forte than like live action acting. So that's stuff he's got to bring to the, you know, the performance in the booth where he's got to record the sound and, and he captured it. It felt like, you know, the right, you know, um, voice for it, which was kind of, you know, that makes a difference. Like, you know, given he's a big sort of monster mm. and yeah, I didn't feel a mismatch there. No. Glenn? Yeah, I thought he was, yeah, he was good. The... That character was, yeah, also had a bit of range to it. You know, it had the moment, the, the sad, lot of sad moments and a lot of 
you know, just part, you know, not partying, but just being crazy and having a wild rumpus. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought they're all good, really. Um, hard to say much more than that. Yeah. Have you watched The Sopranos, Glenn? No. Are you the only one, yeah, Scott? You people are shameful. Uh, it's probably one of my favourite <laughs> shows. Actually, gangster on. film. It's an absolute, it's an exquisite show. Stuff. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's funny having obviously watched and loved The Sopranos, seeing yeah this character Carol in some way encapsulates Tony Soprano in the fact that he is this <laughs> you know this like he's big James Gandolfini is a big fella. Um, mm-hmm. But he is that fun-loving guy, but his ability, he switches and his anger is huge. And it's very – so it's almost like he's playing to type. And if you actually watch a lot of James Gandolfini's movies, he probably plays that similar sort of character, a bit of a joke. It can be a bit jovial, but when he switches, he's an absolute psycho. So, you know, he's got that. And, I, yeah, it was quite funny watching or listening to James Gandolfini play this character and I kept thinking to myself – this isn't actually that far removed from Tony Soprano in terms of his ability to be really happy but then really sad because in the – to spoil it, but he does have mental health issues throughout the show and then, yeah, his ability just to switch and get really angry, it's, it's, it's quite funny. Mm. Um, the unofficial sequel to uh, The Sopranos, yeah. where the wild things are. <laughs> um, who else? KW, Lauren Ambrose? Yeah, I guess like uh, she kind of had a big part in it. Um, she had a lot of heart to the film, I think. And that steady, yeah. she was quite level, quite steady. Out of all of them, she seemed to be, you know, the most even you know what, of the wild things. Yeah. Do you, do you know, I know something? I actually thought it was Catherine Kinnear who was actually voicing KW. Oh. Like, I didn't think there was any strong difference between those kind of the, the vocals. Um, certainly would have saved on some money. Yeah. And like, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't know, like, uh, I think, you know, it did bring heart and that kind of thing. I don't know if it, you know, there was anything special about, uh, her performance above other performances. Like, could someone else have done that role? Probably. Mm. Um, it is probably hard yeah. with the voice, the voice acting in some ways in that sense. Mm. It's probably hard to do this, um, this part of the pod because I guess a lot of the time, I think we discussed this, did we discuss this through Spider-Man where, you know, a lot of, I think Glenn, you pointed out, is that a lot of the times when you're watching an actor and that's the voice, you, you're watching the person who's acting on and how they're going on screen, whereas I guess these are just big, you know, basically just big, um, what, Sesame Street characters in some ways, aren't they? They're just big Muppets. Mm. So I sort of felt Giant like, Muppets. Mm. Yep. With Angus Sampson as the book mm. performer. Um, but I don't know. I, she, this character was always kept me curious. I was really interested. Mm. I would have liked to have seen where, what else she, what her part of the world was. I guess we don't sort of get that completely. Well, we get to meet Terry and was it Terry and Bob? With the owls. Yeah, the owls. Yeah, played by Spike Jones. Mm. Good performance. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyone else that we want to discuss? Uh, not really. Oh, you got like you know Forrest Whitaker in there, but you know that's really a bit part. Yeah, probably Chris Cooper um, was the, who played Doug was probably the only other one that had a major part. Yeah, be cast as a major part, and yeah, well, I thought he was pretty cool. Hmm. All right, favorite scene, Glenn. 
Um, for me, there wasn't really a standout scene um, during this movie, but I guess if I had to have a favourite, it would be the final scene when he gets home to his mum. I just, I, I don't know. It was just a good scene. It was just really emotional when his mum got, got him back. You know, he got back to his mum and the mum fell asleep. And yeah, I just loved that scene, <laughs> even though it's not a very exciting scene. Hmm. <laughs> Michael? Um, look, I like the, the model scene where he kind of, you know, they're talking about here's my cool fort, um, you know, here's the place where you could be anything, and, like, he puts his head up and there's the water and that it kind of has cool. the boat going through. That's nice. Um, and I enjoy the building of the fort. That was kind of like, you know, yeah, we're building a thing, and that was kind of cool. Um, that's about it, really. Yeah, I yeah. I probably didn't have a lot either. Um I enjoyed the dirt fight scene. Um, mm. I thought that was just really well shot um, and I thought it was really well put together and, yeah, it was quite a few different quick yeah. cuts and, yeah, it just felt fun. It just felt like you're in the middle of this and, and how much fun you would have doing it and there was that real... That's well, awful. Um, it's all fun and games until someone gets well, out Well, look, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that used to happen. I remember we used to have um, gum nut fights at school and they were great until someone got hurt. So, yeah. but yet we'd still do it the next day. Who would have thought? But anyway, um, I don't know. I just thought it was really well done. It's uh, and it just created again that sense of fun that I guess you want you wanted as a kid. Um, but then I mm. guess it also shows that you know, a lot of these things they yeah, what starts as fun ends in tears. Uh, and I'll quite a lot of the times these sorts of things do do that. So, mm. especially when you throw dirt mm. clods at yeah, you rocks each other. and whatever they'll throw on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to hurt people. Notable aspects. I've got a bunch. Oh, right, you go, Glenn. You start. Well, other things. Other things. Uh, first thing, probably the thing I love most about this movie is the soundtrack. Just like I love the music in this movie and it just when I hear it, it just immediately brings this movie straight to my mind and um, it just has a, it's just great. I just love the music. Um, even just listening to the trailer. The start of the trailer. Anyway, it's interesting you say that. I didn't. I didn't. the The music wasn't. I didn't connect with the music as I was listening. And like I'm listening at the trailer, going, actually, that's a really kind of nice tune. But um, it's probably because I listened to it a lot forefront. when the movie came out. I, I you know listened to the uh, soundtrack yeah. a lot before the movie even came mm. out. So that's partly why. Yeah, I suppose. And obviously the costumes. You got you to say talk about the costumes and mm. how good they were and how. The effects... They do uh, look pretty spectacular. The, 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 they just look so real and um, it's just so well done. I think they were real. And, um, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, they look like real monsters. Yeah. Not costumes. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think the, the big thing is they didn't look CGI. Like, that was kind of the... Yeah. You know, in a, in a world where, you know, doing CGI is cheaper more and more, uh, but not necessarily more effective. Like, you know, you you got... The kid got a real performance against stuff. Yeah. Um. And I think it, it was quite telling when Max was leaving and, like, you know, you've got Carol wading into the water and he's, the suit is wet, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, that's because it's, it's real. So mm. That suit would have had to have got cool. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Vincent Crowley had that covered, as did Angus Sampson. <laughs> and also the uh, design of all the fort, the fort and all the little structures that they've built on the island the way they've woven them like baskets almost or whatever it is and yeah, yeah it was really nice i really like that i thought there was an odd disconnect between 
um, Carol's kind of mountain peaked kind of places and the big ball fort. I was like, that doesn't look anything like what you made. No, no, I agree. I was like, what were you doing there? Why aren't you making a a pointy thing? <laughs> so anyway, keep going, Ben. Uh, what else? Can you guys go? I'll, I'll have a whole think. Um, I think it was, it was quite cinematic. Like, um, you know, and there, was some, there was some really nice sort of wide shots. Particularly in the desert, you had to walking by, and um, and I think it was interesting. The Maison Sen was quite bleak. You know what I mean? Like it, like the forest didn't feel forest. It felt dead in a lot of ways. Probably because we're at the bottoms of the trees, but um, it didn't. It there's a lot. I suppose the like it was seen with a lot of browns and and sort of you know oranges and yellows in color terms. Um, so it didn't kind of feel like lush. And I think that you know having a bit more um, color to it, I guess over the over a palette might have kind of been nice. If you get what I'm saying, yeah. It's like it felt. I guess that kind of that whole sort of monster scape felt bleak, and maybe that's representative of the books um, as well. But yeah, that was a thing I noted. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, whether it is just simply because we're seeing it predominantly from Max's point of view, so he's at his level, so he's not going to see necessarily the top of the trees. He's only ever going to see the trunks, but um. Mm. I, I do like the fact that you know the, these are practical effects and these are you know real suits and real characters in them, um, and it looks like that they're in actual proper sets. So it doesn't feel CGI; it feels real, and it does feel like you are there with them. Mm. Um, so I thought that was really nicely done. Um, you know, as you said, it's probably cheaper for them to do it CGI. Maybe that's why it's the budget was a hundred million as opposed to you know. Possibly potentially half that if they CGI'd a lot of it. Did it cost a hundred million? Yeah, and it made a hundred. That's a lot. Hundred point one. Did you listen to me before, Michael? Yeah, I did. But just, just registered again. Yeah. yeah. When you say it, it's a whole, it's a lot of money. A hundred million dollars. But I was thinking yeah, while watching it that it only to wouldn't make be that, one million above that. I was thinking it wouldn't be that expensive when I was watching it because it's all, it's only a handful of characters and it's all one location kind of like. Yeah, it's it not does, like it's, it's not feel like a hundred million dollar film. Yeah, there's no explosions and you know, cars mm. crashing into buildings and stuff. It's, mm. <laughs> it seemed more simple than that, but gosh, like six underground. What a what a great opening sequence that was. <laughs> but no, I thought that was yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was well done. It just looked it just looked pretty, I guess. Yep. Um, mm. Well, it felt realistic. I guess is is probably more more to the point. Um, other than that, I didn't have much else. Glenn, did you have anything else? Mm, just that it's the characters are all really they're really distinct from each other. All the all the wild things are all their own. They've got their own issues and their own things going on, and it it just it's really I think it's just really well done the way they've put it all together and had all the issues. You know all the real sadness and, and stuff that people have that people have and that yeah Max is sort of in the middle of um, yeah and he's it's sort of he needs to grow up he needs to grow up a bit yeah yeah anyway I just I guess thought it was the, good. Hmm, going to a question are the 
are the different characters supposed to be, I guess, different emotions, or are they? Yeah, I can answer that. There's actually a thing here. Each the wild thing has a different personality, which represents the different personalities of Max: selfish, shy, angry, lonely, adventurous, moody, and a lack of self confidence. Hmm. Hmm. Who's adventurous? Um. I mean, out of all of them, who was the adventurous? Carol. One? Who, who, well, I, the one I have I says that uh, Carol is Max's creative passion, the unintentional fuel for his violent, pre adolescent tantrums. That's why he's closest yeah. to Max, but uh, also the monster who presents the greatest physical hazard, the rage that threatens to consume him. And KW is Max's love for Ooh. his mother and sister. Uh, well, that sounds much nicer. Let's go with yours. Judith is his spitefulness, Ira, his calm side, Alexander, his insecurity, Douglas, his reason, and the unnamed bull, his sadness. That's from uh, oh, Empire I mean, Online. Angus Sampson really kind of carried that sadness. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Where are we up to? Any other questions? Is that question still? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I asked my question earlier was like, you know, why did the mum actually sort of sort out Max, like a babysitting thing that she was going to get, you know, a bit frisky with her boyfriend in the lounge room? Um, yeah. My, I've got, I think they would have saved a lot of my, pain. My question is, you know, he decla- he's the king and he says the first order of business is let the wild romper start. And I was thinking, shouldn't they be thinking about food and shelter, surviving? You know, you can't just have a party. You know, you gotta you got to think about what you need first. Uh, isn't that highlighting the short-term sort of... You're thinking of uh, it as an adult. ...nature of... Yeah. You know, a kid. Like, he's just found a whole heap of monsters. Let's party. Yay! I mean, you've only got to look back at two hands. The first thing that those kids did was go and buy a shitload of clothes. Spin, and a shitload spin, of, spin. Well, I guess they did go out and put clothes and food. But, I mean, it's lollies mm. and stuff like that. They don't think of the yeah, long they term. Sh- they should have been investing, possibly, mm. like, you know, looking at shares. Um. <laughs> Another, I just yeah. had a, I just thought of a question. Putting then. in the bank. Which wasn't on my list, but that teacher who was telling them about, oh, this, you know, the sun's going to die, like all things, you know, and with that, I was like, gosh, what sort of teacher is just like this? This Look, teacher is just depressing these young kids. Like, yeah, there's no Look, point to clarify, life. The sun, <laughs> the sun is going to die. The funniest thing about it, though, in five billion, <laughs> the funniest thing about it is that he's like going. Oh, but it's okay. Don't worry. We won't have to deal with that because we probably would have been wiped out from wars and <laughs> pestilence and oh, lack of yeah, food. So and like all, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This guy's the single most depressing teacher I've ever met in my life. What the hell is going yeah. on? Yeah. And I know, well, and I know a lot of teachers. Had up, yeah, so we do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, you know, it was an odd way to approach the science of um, of the sun and the human race, I guess. Um, certainly not how I'd do it. <laughs> um, so, don't worry kids sun's gonna die but five billion years away you'll be long dead yeah. <laughs> my other question that i had while watching this movie was i wonder how they mate well i mean like they, i mean let's get back to the science they don't have a significant beating population anyway it'd just be um there'd be some sort of weird genetic thing going on the population would collapse we're probably actually seeing at the tail end of the wild things. It's yeah. almost There's no babies. a collapsing thing. No. Yeah. There's no I mean, children ones. 
Unless, I suppose the other point is that it is a fictional kind of children's book, Glenn, so that's not really uh, relevant. Okay. <laughs> I thought it might be a deleted scene or something. There, are, yeah. there is a couple. Ira and... What are you... Yeah. and uh, Catherine... No, um, Catherine O'Hara. Judith. What's her name? Kate, Judith? Kate, no. Was, Ju- was it Judith? Oh, yeah, Judith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You're a couple. <laughs> yeah. Two nights. Hmm. And deleted scene is like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop that! <laughs> he ripped my arm off. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that made it in. Violence in American <laughs> movies, right there. Uh, all right, if there's no other questions, uh, over to you, Michael, for trivia. All right. Spike Jones turned down the chance to make the movie fully animated because he wanted people to feel the wild things and thought it would be more exciting and dangerous if a real kid were running around with the wild things. Yeah, it's it's funny. So I was wondering whether this this movie would have been better animated. But you wouldn't be able to feel the wild things. Yeah, that wouldn't have worried me. Yeah. Um, in 2006, less than six weeks before the start of shooting, the Jin Henson-built motor suits, monster suits, arrived at the Melbourne soundstage where Spike Jones and his crew had set up their offices. The actors climbed inside and began moving around. Right away, Jones can see that the heads were absurdly heavy. One of the cast members appeared to be able to walk in a straight line. I reckon it was Angus mm. Sampson. Um, a few of them called out from within their costumes that they felt like they were going to tip over. Jones and the production crew had no choice but to tell the Henson people to tear out the 50-pound heads, uh, tear apart the 50-pound heads and remove the remote-controlled mechanical eyeballs. This meant that all the facial expressions would have to be generated in post-production using computers. So there oh, you go. So they still did CGI. They, they CGI'd the hell out of that. Yeah, look real. Um, I mean, it makes sense because I suppose the smiling and stuff is hard to do with a thing. Uh, the creatures are being portrayed by actors in six to eight foot tall costumes with some additional animatronics and computer generated faces. The costumes were created by the Jim Henson Company, uh, responsible for the Muppets. So they were really we're giant Muppets. Muppets. Yeah. Um, Ooh, the movie's release generated conflicting views over whether it is harmful to expose children to frightening scenes. Spike Jones indicated these goals was to make a movie about childhood, rather than to create a, child, a children's movie. Dan Feldman, Warner Brothers' head of music distribution, noted that the film's promotion was not directed towards children, advising parents to exercise their own discretion. In an interview with Newsweek, uh, Maurice, uh, Maurice Sendak stated that the parents who deemed the film's content to be too disturbing for children should go to hell. <laughs> Fair enough. That's a question I'll not tolerate, and he further noted, I saw the most horrendous movies that were unfit for children's eyes. So what? I managed to survive. Very Sendak, you champion. Well, it's true. We just come um, off doing good ones, and yeah. <laughs> that had more violence in ah, it than these. That's true. Um, but, you know, better film. Hmm. Uh, initially, Warner Brothers was so unhappy with Spike Jones' final movie, it was much less uh, family-friendly than they imagined, they wanted to reshoot the whole $35 million project in early 2008. Jones was eventually given some more time and money to buy the studio in order to make the film a uh, final product satisfying to both the studio and him. There you go. That's why it cost $100 million. Mm. Um, where, when Max is standing on a small pile of uh, books in his room... Spider of them clearly says where the wild things are. <laughs> One of them clearly says. Um, 
Spike Jones had his voice cast act out their characters on a soundstage to ensure their, that their voices came from performance of actors and actresses working together instead of filming the movie and then recording the voices later. There you go. Recording the cast members individually. The actors and actresses wore radio microphones attached to their heads with headbands. Uh, Jones and Catherine Kinnear would perform Max. Um, even before the soundstage shoot, Spike took the voice cast to Griffith Park to wage an actual dirt clod war. That's cool. cool. Uh, to make the set, I mean, hopefully no one got hurt. Um, <laughs> or it would have been Alexander got hurt. Uh, to make the set a more comfortable environment for Max Records, Spike Jones encouraged the crew members to bring their children to the set. Some of them can be seen in the film's final classroom scene. Oh, film's classroom scene. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, numerous cameras followed the actors and actresses around to impress their impressions and expressions and feelings. Uh, the image was then to be digitally infused onto the faces of the puppets and would follow the cast members' performances. Uh, here you go, Glenn. All the original songs of the movie were written and performed by Karen O, the yes. lead singer of Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. She yeah, dated yeah, yeah, director yeah, Spike yeah. Jones at the time of production, and but they have since broken up. Huh. So now they're uh, no, no, no. The f- no, no, no. Uh, the film, while debuting at number one at the box office, was soon uh, so over budget that it didn't break even. Well, according to Maui, it made $100.1 million from a $100 million budget, so it did break it. Yeah. The open call for Max was huge. It took several months and thousands of boys auditioned from several countries worldwide. I wonder where it came from. Hmm. Um, uh, Max Records' favourite scene in the original book uh, is when Max meets a sea monster. That scene is, however, not concluded in the film. Ah. Um, <laughs> Glenn's, Glenn's oh, checking the book. <laughs> I don't remember that. I just read this the other. I just read it yesterday. Maybe you made it up. No, uh, no concepts of the film dated um, all the way back to the 1970s when several animators took a whack at it but failed to stir up any interest. Um, Sonny Gersumowitz. Uh, who designed the Wild Things, wound up being the suit performer for Alexander the Goat Boy. There's no sea monster in this book. <laughs> lies. Oh, cracked it. Max Records lies. It just, maybe you just said something. Yeah, the sea monster was great. I really loved it. Maybe, you that, maybe, maybe that's the US, maybe that's the US <laughs> edition, sure. Glenn. Maybe the deemed the sea monster too scary for us here in Australia. That's the other, mm. the other um, aspect I meant to say is the costumes and how good they were, but they looked exactly like the pictures in the book. Like they just were spot on. Yeah. I must say, when he was wearing, I thought it was a cat suit, but when he was wearing the wolf suit, as you said before, it really did trigger memories of reading the book because it really did yeah. make that those pictures that I that I vaguely remember come to life. So I, will, I thought that was really good. Um. Okay. Uh, all right. Oh, who's a writer, Glenn? Uh, oh, the, hey, wait a minute. Spike Jones, I think, wrote Mar- it. Oh, no, the actual book. Yeah, oh, Morris Sendak. Morris Sendak. Ah, yeah. I was going to say, throughout the writing process, Spike Jones and Dave Eggers kept in close contact with Morris Sendak, consulting and sharing script changes, models of the monsters, etc. Um, and uh, that's really it, I think. Hmm. All right. Yeah. 
All right, it's time for our final thoughts and ratings. Obviously, we do rate out of 10, 10 being a fantastic film, zero being a terrible film, and five being somewhere in between. Glenn, I'll leave you till last because you did choose this film. Michael, what score do you give Where the Wild Things Are? Yeah, uh, look, it was for me it was a really hard film to engage with. Um, I found the narrative was just a little bit, eh, like there was no kind of solid turning points or, you know, sort of hero's journey for Max was just kind of um, ambivalent. I don't know, it just seemed kind of like, you know, I guess the, you know, the emotional baggage of a journey. Um, and I don't do about emotional baggage well. Um, so, um, and it kind of, you know, in some essence, it reminded me of Bridge of Terabithia, which I, God, I hated that film. That, that film, like, you know, will burn in cinema hell, in my opinion, because it, it, it faked me out with a high fantasy kind of moment. And it's like, yeah, this is a fantasy film. And it wasn't. <laughs> um, at least I wasn't kind of deceived by this film. I knew what I was getting into going into it. But, um, yeah, still kind of didn't have a... Like, it was a lovely story, but it just I just didn't feel like, you know, it was worth kind of... Um, $100 billion? The 102 minutes. Yeah, $100 million in the 102 minutes of my life. Um, four out of ten. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Like, and here's a just a fun to add. Eddie kept asking, "Can I leave?" Like, you know. So he, we said at some point, it's "Like, yeah, you can go, kid, because this this movie is not <laughs> it's not doing anything for us." So <laughs> that's not an indictment on this film. I don't know what is. <laughs> it's not a kids' movie. It's about <laughs> childhood. Yeah, it's not. It's a, yeah. Um. So for me, I'm actually going to give this a five point five. Yeah, I had it at six, but I, yeah, the more I think about it, I think I've, I've dropped it down. I, and it's, I think it had some really nice moments, and I think it did. There were moments that it really did take me back to childhood. One from remembering reading this story, and you know, as I said at the start, that enjoyment of as a kid of when you did create things in your own mind and acted them out. Um, and I, you know, but for me, it's a largely forgettable movie. I know. This is a movie that in five years' time someone will go, have you seen this? And I'll go, oh, I think so. Like it's probably not something that I'm ever going to go back and watch. It's probably not ever something that I'm never going to go back and think about. So, um, yeah, for me it's a 5.5. Yeah, that's all I've got to say. Better than average at least Hmm. for you, Phil. Glenn? Disappointing. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. When this came out, I was – this movie was so – hugely anticipated by me when this came out i was so excited to see it um and when i did see it i was i was a little bit disappointed because i had built my hopes so high and i was like ah, oh, i guess it's okay it's not that i love the music and i looks great but i was just come out it wasn't what i expected when it first came out so watching it again now i'm like it's it's been you know what t- uh, 14 years i thought we'll give this another watch and see what i think now well i don't have the expectations and mm. if anything i have low expectations and I watched it, and I I liked it so much more than the first time I watched it. Um, it's just, you know, book adaptations often they'll cut out scenes and leave the leave stuff out, but they fit everything in in this no, movie. They didn't. Oh, they yeah, they the didn't do the whole. No, the the forest didn't go in his bedroom, and the sea didn't come in with the. They expanded on it. It was great. Yeah, I don't know. There's but no. Forest I just think it was just so <clears throat> well done. <laughs> it was just so well done. <laughs> Um, and just you know, I, I don't, I don't throw around the word masterpiece very often, but you could say it's a master. I would say it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. This movie, it's yeah. it's it's not exactly you know edge of the seat thrilling, 
what's going to happen next. It's just a really, I guess, an art film, and it's just it just gets those emotions of of mm. the whole the whole film. I don't know, it's just great, and and that ending as it's well. Just, a, just get back to the mum and and a, have the, you feels a boy with his anyway, emotional baggage. I, I give it eight, eight out of ten. Right, fair enough. And you know what, Glenn, I can, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like you know, I, I couldn't. But you're not the only one. Like I was um, when I was looking for the trailers and stuff like that, and I was kind of going, oh man, this film must have been paid out. I'll have a look at the comments, and there were genuinely people who loved it, like absolutely loved it, and really yeah. connected with it. And I was like, oh, I don't get this. I don't yeah. understand. Like I watch this film, and I don't. I'm surprised that uh, you. I, I was really interested to see what you thought of this because I read mm. a review just before. It was someone who said. I watched this in 2009 and I thought it was, yeah, it's pretty average, but I've watched it again recently and now I've got two, you know, young, I've got two young boys and this movie just nails it and I love it. And mm. so I was like, okay, I wonder how you guys would go with having had kids and whatnot. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm disappointed you guys didn't love it. <laughs> well, it's fair. I mean, and that's fair enough. Like, you know, that happens. Yeah. Um, we can't always love the, the things that we, you know, each other <laughs> and love. And this is the weird, um, like you said, uh, I think Scott said, you know, this in a few years' time, you'll be like, yeah, I think I've seen that, but you're probably not going to ever watch it again. But this is mm. one of those movies where after watching it, I was like, oh, man, I really I want to watch this again in a few years. Like, I just want to go back to yeah. it. And I don't think that very often about a movie, even a good movie that I love. I just never think about watching it again. I just, yeah, I always watch something new usually. But mm. this one, I'm like, I want to watch this again at some stage. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's all good. All right, so with a score of a four from Michael, a five and a half from me and an eight from Glenn, that gives us a total score of 17.5, which puts it into the number 14 position out of 16 movies. Uh, it is just not quite as good as Total Recall on 18, but it is better, <laughs> but it is better, than, fair it is better than Dick on 14.75. Obviously, oh, our number one rated film is Jurassic Park. On twenty six point five, uh, and our worst movie is Six Underground at eleven point two five. Obviously, our top three is still Jurassic Park, as I said, twenty six point five. Get Out on twenty five point five, then a tie for third, Ready Player One, and The Dish on twenty three. This should be top five, <laughs> and maybe if you had three like minded people, Glenn, it would be top yeah, five. That's right. <laughs> but that's exactly why we don't. Yeah, that's right. We've got a very big mix here. Uh, all right, Michael, it's time for our. Well, don't you, do we do the socials? Oh, we always do the socials, yes. I yeah. always forget the socials. Every Share. single time. Share, Share our podcast. Even though we forget it, you shouldn't. Uh, so mm. obviously, we can be found on X at Cinematic Leap, is our handle. We're also on Facebook. Uh, just search, search for Cinematic Leap. Our podcast can be found on all major podcasting networks. We've also got a fantastic website where you can listen to our – you can actually listen to the podcast directly from the website, and it's fantastic. Glenn mm. puts a lot of work into it, and it looks awesome. So yep. cinematicleap.com is where you can find that. Uh, yeah, you don't have to be a slave to the corporations like Spotify. Mm, that's right. And Amazon or whatever. You can just direct listening. Um, and remember to put it in our Christmas yes. cards, like you, when you put out your Christmas greetings. And Merry Christmas, cinematicleap.com. <laughs> Obviously, we do ask that you rate and share our podcast if you can, because it does help other people help find us. Uh, and tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell everyone. <laughs> yep. As we said, put tell, it in a Christmas card. Everyone will love it. Now, Michael, it's time for our... 
cinematic leap. That thing. All right. That's <laughs> working beautifully. <laughs> We're long machine. Uh, all right. So I get to choose the leaper. Michael, you're getting to choose the movie. Finally. Uh, well, get excited, Michael, Finally. because after this movie, and then I choose next week, and then you go on your three, your run of three. The triumvirate so you, returns. You get four movies in five weeks. Oh, this is very exciting. I know. This is going to be good viewing. And scarily, I Triple follow your triple. Yeah. <laughs> which I think I did. I'm going to end it on something obscure. Which I think I did last time too, which is interesting. Um, nah, I'm sure it was fine. Anyway, fingers crossed you'll, you'll leave me with something good. Um, mm. So this one's a tough one. I, I must admit I, I've really only focused on the cast. I haven't looked at the crew. Glenn did mention... Um, we, we could go to the could we go to the Muppet movie, Jim Henson? If we had got you know cost Jim Henson costumes and whatnot, that'd be great to go to the Muppets. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I did look. I did look around. There's, there is some very good uh, people in this cast. Obviously, Chris Cooper, who we mentioned before, he's been in quite a few good movies. Uh, Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker could get us to one of the movies in our Sting. Good, uh, good mm. morning, Vietnam. Um, but my, uh, and even Mark Ruffalo, who I enjoyed, uh, not that in this, but I've seen him in quite a few movies, but that's going to lead us down the Marvel path. It's pretty, path. pretty criminally underused for this, wasn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> I don't even know why. Be, what would you pay him yeah. to be? Anyway, good luck to him. He probably got paid yeah. a lot of money. Maybe he was just around, you know, doing something else and they're like, hey, come yeah. be in this scene. Spot Jones, Steven Spielberg yeah. just happened to be walking past. So they gave yeah, him like that. that. Said, Here you go, come Could've in. Heard. <laughs> I wonder if if that if that part was filmed in Australia or not, and if um, and if he was around doing something else. I don't know. It, it's just weird to have him in, yeah, like one shot almost. Yeah, one line. Yeah, yeah. less than Steven Spielberg, I think, in <laughs> in Eternal Sky. Um, <clears throat> and you know, look, I, my mind was turned a little bit when I looked at Spike Jones. Not so much for what he's directed, but more what he's been in. A couple of really good films there. But, and um, he's in this technically as well because he was the he owls. Was, he was the owls. Bob and Terry, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm really yeah. I'm I'm choosing this actor because I'm hoping to get to a couple of different movies, and I'm curious as to where Michael will go. Um, Michael, you said you haven't seen much of this guy, so we're going to go with James Gandolfini, <sighs> a, a favourite of mine oh, yeah. in terms of a, as an actor. Sadly, <gasps> he's passed away, so we won't see any more uh, of his oh, films or TV, but. Yeah, there is. Wow, one. that's a good list here. There is one movie that I really want you to get us to. True Romance. Is it Burt Wonderstone? No, it's neither of those. Well, True <laughs> Romance I do like. Uh, it's the movie Crimson Tide. I'm really hoping you'll take us there. I don't know if you will. It's no, a, you won't. It's an awesome film. Uh, probably not. I think you'd love it too, Michael. We could. Um, um, I think I've seen it. We could do what, Where the Wild Things Are again. Uh, no. no. <laughs> um <laughs> The Man Who Wasn't There is a good movie. There's also uh, yeah. The Jura. I just saw, I was going to watch that on Netflix the other day, but I didn't, just in case you chose it, Michael. I've been meaning to watch that too, actually, because I was just on the jury and yeah, <laughs> it'd be yeah. fun to watch it. Oh, there's a classic Terminal Velocity. Uh, the uh, Taking of Pelham 123. That. That's a fun film. Mm, imagine it is. Um, I mean, True, Mer- True Romance is there. That's, who was that? Was that an early. That's Tony Scott. It's a Tarantino yeah. film that was written by Tarantino, yeah. but it was done by Tony Scott, directed. It's not what we're doing. It. But, like, I think it really boils down to this. Um, he's in a Nicolas Cage film. 
called Eight Millimeter. Oh, it's not very good. <laughs> this is. Have you seen it, Michael? <laughs> I think I have. This, is, oh. this will take us down a dark, dark path. <laughs> this is. A, yeah, this yeah. is an interesting film. Oh, <laughs> hang on. He, he didn't say he's choosing it, did he? I don't know. Uh, I did. I did say he's in it. So oh, I mean, that's I, where I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting film. <laughs> I'm really intrigued by it. Like that's that's one of the strongest kind of uh, things. Falling with Denzel um, Washington's not a bad flick. Oh, I do remember that. No, I watched that. It was all right. Great opening. Oh, you know what? Oh, this one's for Glenn. We're gonna enough said. Oh. Is it? It's for me. No. Oh. oh, actually, that's not great either. Apparently, um, what you know we... what? That shouldn't actually hold us back. Um, I mean, there's the Mexican. What did you say? What were you going to say for me? The Mexican, which is a rom com. Oh, it looks no. That Brad, is that Julia um, Roberts? It is Julia Roberts and Brad Pitt. Wasn't that widely panned, that film? Probably. Um, oh, jeez. Oh, we're not getting anything perfect here, kids. Um, <clears throat> Surviving Christmas. Um, no, no. All right. Come on, Michael. You know Where what? are we going? This is you know. What? I think I'm going to go one of one or two bad movies. It's going to be either Eight Millimeter or The Mexican. Um, and you can't go past Nicolas Cage. We're going to Eight Millimeter. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm fascinated. The last time you watched this film, Michael, it's been decades. I mean, I mean, I'm looking at it on Letterbox, and there's so many five stars on it. So it is. Yeah. Well, Nicholas Cage gets five stars automatically. Just, but I mean, the movie yeah. it does have a pretty good. Oh, Catherine Keene is in it too. There you go. Um, yeah, eight millimeter, <laughs> the nineteen ninety film directed by Joel Schumacher. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is going to be interesting. We're delving into the world of weird porn, it's going to be fun. Hmm. All right. Was it the snuff film one? <laughs> All right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Very much appreciate it. And please listen to us next time when we review the film 8mm. With Nicolas Cage. Gentlemen, thanks very much. (laughs) Take the Chevy to the living. And like that, he's gone. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Cinematic League. This is going to be fascinating.